Hi, everyone. <laughs> Talking about my NyQuil intake. I'm a, I don't have a problem. She, I'll tell you what I have a problem. She can quit anytime she wants. <laughs> I'll tell you what I've had enough. <laughs> Good morning. We may have a problem. Uh, well, that's yeah. been established, I think, long ago. Got yes. a little cold, so I just took a little NyQuil. Yeah. It's all good. It's, uh, it's all good in the hood. DayQuil doesn't do it for me. We're like, all kind of crazy. DayQuil doesn't do it for doesn't me. Doesn't have the same stuff. No. I think that stuff is called codeine. And alcohol. <laughs> and alcohol. <laughs> My grandpa used to say, it's just Always a good combination, right. drugs and alcohol. Wow. My grandpa used to say, take a shot of whiskey. This is a, Christ- this is a Christian your, podcast. This is your uh, German grandfather, right? German slash Russian, yeah. yes. It's a good combination. Should have been. So, no vodka. I was going to say, should have been vodka. If he was Irish, you know, then we'd get... Guinness. Get, get the whiskey in there, so... I tried Guinness Ethnic once. Ethnic stereotypes, yeah. We are so PC today. I tried Guinness once in my life. Yeah? And it's... I don't understand. I I've cooked with it. Like, I'm pretty I, sure Guinness weighs more than you do. Well, like, you can eat it with a spoon. Like By design. Did you ever hear ooh. the story of how that began? No. He, uh, Welcome to Guinness Talk. He's he a devout Christian. and Who was? Mr. Uh, Guinness? Yeah. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> Is it named after a person? Yep. Oh. And... Mr. Guinness uh, was concerned about the, you know, the fact that in, in Ireland at the time, there, you didn't have clean water to drink mm. and the hard liquor was a prominent thing. So he deliberately made this stout, heavy beer so that you had a healthy option to drink, but it was too heavy for you to drink much of it. So you know, it would fill you up before you had the same kind of thing. And to use the proceeds from it to fund Bible societies. Wow. So, yeah. Well, that was my fun fact for the day. I told my mother once that it almost made me want to uh, start drinking beer, and she washed my mouth out with soap and Weep. spanked me. And that was last year. So <laughs> We're off to a great start today. We are. It's time for us to bring this full circle, isn't it? Hey. Hey, how about that? I don't know how we're going to bring that full circle. So as okay. we are, are finishing up this uh, series in Ephesians, uh, unlike this conversation, Paul was very purposeful and got to the point. And as he's closing out the letter, we're, we're looking at... Um, Verses 21 to 24, the, the final greetings, as it was, uh, is the, Anna, the NIV heading has it. Um, and he's telling the Ephesians about uh, Tychicus bringing the news of what's going on so he can encourage them. And uh, let's see if we have this in the Bible here. I'm uh, sure it's somewhere in there. I'm pretty sure. It's probably in Ephesians 6, verses uh, 21 to 24. Imagine that. Um, Tychicus is a great name, by the way. And my... Son-in-law, who, by the way, Stanton, if you're listening, you're obnoxious. I love you, but come on, son. My daughter had her baby this morning. Are you, are you publicizing that now? Uh, well, this isn't going to post until hopefully they've got it figured out. And Well, blame your dad, not yeah. me, because I didn't say nothing. Hey, blame yourself for not getting it squared away. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> now I have to make sure I post this late. <laughs> so I will be in trouble. I can't be in trouble. I'm the dad for crying out I ain't out saying loud. nothing. But... Uh, Stanton said that after the sermon Sunday, he was inspired to name the child Tychicus. So Tychicus Archibald Garrett will be the name. You call him Tiki. Yeah. The Tick. (laughs) Here we go for a full circle. Anyhow, the the passage that we're looking at, which is easily overlooked because we tend uh, most of the time to overlook the... The greetings, the the personal remarks. You think it's just like a... 
summary of right. what you the, talked about. The uh, genealogies. We just kind of skip right. over things that oh, don't strike us in our in our modern minds. The genealogies get to me, man. Anyway. So here's what Paul writes. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And so as, uh, as Paul is writing this, it's not just throwaway stuff because as he told Timothy, it, the, the Bible is inspired, every mm-hmm. part of it. You know, every word of Scripture is God-breathed and useful. And so that would include these things, and we can't really afford to, to skip over them. And, and so Paul, in this, is, is bringing the, the whole letter kind of full circle, and it echoes how he begins it. At the beginning of the letter, in chapter 1, he says, in, in his initial salutation, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to, to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you, you can see how that echoes the same thing at the end, this grace and peace theme. Mm-hmm. And specifically that this is from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout the letter you see as Paul even identifying himself says that he's an apostle by the will of God. God's sovereignty is just throughout this letter. The, which is the nature of grace. Grace is something that is given, it's not earned, and so we have no part in grace mm-hmm. other than simply being the passive recipients of it. There is a responsibility that we have in trusting him and, and receiving that grace, but even our ability to see, to know, and to trust, that, that comes from him. Uh, and so when we see this greeting the core reality that we focused in on is that peace and love are byproducts of trusting God's glorious grace in Christ. And so as we kind of walked through um, that, his benediction there to them, and even the fact that he's sending Tychicus to them to give this report, um, he's already alluded to you know, his situation. Now Tychicus is going to come and encourage them. We see that that there's a personal caring. I, I want you to be encouraged. I'm going to send this uh, this fellow servant that you already know. You, he's familiar to you. He's part of this. You know that I'm in chains, and it's easy for you to be discouraged when things are going the way they're going. And he's said early, I don't want you to be discouraged by this. This is for your glory that, that I'm in chains. Um, but he also is vulnerable at the end when he's calling them to always keep on praying for all the saints. He says, pray also for me, and specifically addresses his fearfulness, that, mm-hmm. that he doesn't want to let fear and circumstances overwhelm his sense of purpose and mission. Right. So pray for me that words may be given to me so that I may proclaim this, the mystery of the gospel fearlessly. And, and he repeats that, you know that I may uh, proclaim it fearlessly as I should. Well, that doesn't happen if you're not afraid. You don't. You're not bringing that that out if you're not either currently wrestling with that fear or the fear that you will. You know, afraid that you're going to be afraid. He recognizes that and, and makes himself vulnerable 
uh, to them in, in seeking their prayers. That by itself is a, a strong enough indication um, in, in my book to, to be able to say this is uh, this kind of undoes the the higher criticism that that came out of the German movement in the uh, in the nineteenth century, saying well this wasn't really Paul writing to the Ephesians because it doesn't it's not as personal as his other letters and and so on and so forth and so. Um, it, it seems clear that this is intended to to be read among the churches throughout the area, but the fact that he's writing it to Ephesus, um, this the the personal nature of it remains. Now he certainly may not know everybody that's there, and that's not illogical. He's been away. This is a major cosmopolitan area. Many would. Uh, reckon it to be the the second city of the empire after Rome, even before Corinth, and so in that situation, it's not surprising that people come and go. You know, we see the, the trans, transient nature of people in the big city, uh, and it's a trade city, and so it's a trade city and a port city. So all all of these things are, are near the port. Uh, so there's a lot of a, a lot of movement that goes on there. But in any case, he brings the themes of the letter right into this benediction. So grace has been the foundation of everything. Everything about what he's saying to the Ephesians and what God through his letter to the Ephesians is saying to us is that everything hinges on God's grace from from the, the fact that he raised us from the dead and made us alive in Christ. We're saved by grace. Grace alone. And we take hold of that grace through faith. Faith alone. Mm -hmm. Which, even in the faith, to emphasize the nature of the grace and God's sovereign will in it, Paul points out, that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So there's no room for boasting in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And then goes on to say that you're saved for the works that God has for us to do and he created these works for us prepared them for us even before the creation of the earth so before any of us were god already had a plan for what he intended to do through his church and i i think the emphasis in ephesians 2 10 on us being his workmanship is not on us as individuals not that that's not true but his emphasis because that seems to be clearly his focus throughout the letter is not the individual believer as much as the church as a whole we are the individual stones through which or by which god builds this temple he builds us into a single house where god manifests his glory and presence he's doing what he's doing in the world through the church, through the saints. And so as he, he, he wraps it up with this grace to all who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. And undying is a, a, a familiar word. I don't know if it's the best rendering. Some of the other translations besides the NIV will use some other things such as incorruptible. I read a commentator, uh, who, and I don't recall which one offhand, um, who referred to it as undecaying. And I like that that word. That seems to capture the connotation. Uh, I'm certainly no Greek expert, but in, in looking at the connotation of it, um, that seems to be the idea, that it's a, a love that is incorruptible. It doesn't decay. A love for Christ that, um, that doesn't fade away. That doesn't mean that it's uh, always 
constant and consistent all the time because people have emotions that go up and down. Right. But the love that Paul describes in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which is an agape love, is based on character and act of the will, not on emotions. Right. And so it, it makes sense where even in, in verse 23, right before uh, he gives this grace benediction, when he says, peace to everybody and love with faith, there's something about that love with faith that's bigger than just love. You know, it's not just throwing it out there. But faith, as, as we've seen him establish and as we've talked about um, throughout the series and a number of other occasions, it is not some mystical, you know, thing that, that special people have or that we have at special times. But it's the ability to see reality from God's perspective, to align our thoughts to the truth of God's word in spite of our feelings, in spite of our circumstances, very much like Hebrews 11, 1, where we, we see that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So it's knowing something to be true, choosing to remember that it's true and to focus on that truth, even when everything in us, the, the senses and the feelings, is screaming out the opposite. Right. And so we trust God beyond what feels right to us. So if we take that perspective and see love with faith, it's really a picture of a, of a persevering, enduring love. As, as the believers, as he's um, basically praying for this love for one another, because they love Christ with an undying love, an incorruptible love, the faith in Christ and in the grace that, that God has given us in Christ results in a peace that, that is uh, between us and God, a peace that is between us and our brothers and sisters because we're all united to Christ, and a peace within ourselves mm -hmm. as we are aligned with our purpose now. We, you know, there's a, a reconciliation, a oneness in Christ so that who we are and how we live is increasingly growing together to, to reflect our identity through our living to, as we often would say here, to reflect the reality of Christ through our relationships. And that's what Paul spends the second half of the letter talking about right. is walking worthy of our calling. So that all of that comes together in this greeting and we see that, that the peace and love are byproducts mm -hmm. of choosing to settle our mind on this grace that God has given us, trusting this sovereignty that, that he has um, gloriously poured out on us. What say you then? Uh, I was thinking of a TikTok I was watching last night. <laughs> and it was it's this pastor on there. He does a lot of these little clips. And he's got some, I don't know what denomination it is, but he's got some like, collar thing on him with a bunch of rainbow colors and whatever um and sounds it's, like a progressive it's definitely oh, it's, it's definitely as progressive it says right on there but he was saying things like uh, uh christians take john three sixteen and they skew it which i can understand in a way because people kind of overuse it and i don't think they read the context all the time but he said a lot of these a lot of traditional christians only want to look at the second part of it he goes, what we should be looking at is the first part. So, For God so loved the world. 
he goes, so God loves everybody. And da, da, da. So that's, he was trying to spin it like, you know, that and he goes, and these other Christians want to say that, that, that he gave his only son, da, da, da. He goes, so some Christians are believing that Jesus is the only way that you can get to heaven. So he was saying that Jesus is not the only way that you can get to heaven. Uh, false. But so what, what then would you say to these, I, I think, I think about progressive progressive Christianity a lot because it promotes a lot of peace and love and everything's cool and you can do what you want and da 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 da. So Heavy would you, sigh. Well, right. I understand. Profound eye roll. But then would you say, your computer's going crazy, that, Lots um, of notifications. <laughs> would you say then that that's some kind of false sense of peace or like a, I don't think it's peace at all. I think it promises peace and doesn't deliver, which is why some of the angriest people that I know are progressive. Because well, on the other Especially, side, especially, and, and not just um, let's make sure we understand we're not necessarily here. talking about political progressives, right. although there's a very close tie. But we're talking about uh, theological progressives mm-hmm. that are uh, eschewing orthodoxy for some new kind of thought based on our flesh, based on our understanding, rather than the Word of God. Yeah, he said that doesn't fit for today's gospel. I'm like, today's gospel? Yeah, there, there is no today's gospel. Right. I like, and and I would just take what he said even farther. It's not that some Christians believe that Jesus is the only way. If you don't believe that, you are by definition not a Christian. It is impossible, and I, and I will say this offensively, I hope, I, I hope this is offensive, because if it's not offensive, then you're not taking me seriously on this. There is no compatibility between what is known as progressive Christianity and actual Christianity. Liberal theology is not Christianity. It is an aberration. It, it, it is a, a distortion and a blasphemous, uh, unorthodox, unbiblical, ungodly teaching that uses human understanding and the flesh to as an authority over the scripture and so when society dictates what we believe to be right and wrong rather than the character of god as revealed in the inspired word of god then we end up with what we call progressive or liberal christianity so then would you and it is not would you say something like ignorance is bliss in that case? Is that what they're experiencing? Because if, if uh, our core reality, on I don't Sunday, think it's ignorance. I think it is a hatred for God. But I, if but but you, I think would, but you would look at a, but you would look at a progressive Christian, and I don't mean to bash anybody. I'm sorry, he does. But um, I, I'm not bashing <laughs> the people as I am the worldview and the mindset behind it. But if this, which is anti-Christ. But if this dude is like peace and love and that's what they're promoting whatever and so if a progression progressive christian stepped forward and they're like yeah i'm totally at peace i'm totally you know love is love da 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 what would you call that then a lie okay there there is no peace in pacifism because there's a peace that is only available through truth and to borrow from sean connery in first night which is clearly say it like sean connery or don't say it There's a peace that can only be found on the other side of the wall. Thank you. And so as as, as Sean Connery playing uh, King Richard. Will Ferrell playing Sean Connery. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, that wasn't Will Ferrell. As he's, as he's saying Hammond. this um, in the presence of uh, Richard Gere's, uh, uh, what's the who is it? I've never seen the movie, Galahad? so you can, you can tell me whatever you want. But you know the legend, the yeah. Arthurian legend, or the uh, uh, 
the Knights of the Round Table. Anyway, so. So Washington is uh, going to be in Macbeth. Anyway. Can't go wrong. <laughs> that, that's at least the second Shakespearean movie he's done. Probably, I assume Kenneth Brown is in, in, involved in it. But anyhow. It's black and white. So. Um, as, as he's pointing out there, you can't have peace by appeasing the evil one. Well, I was going to say. And, and, and the same thing happens here. If we are. If we are making peace with the world mm. by acquiescing to societal norms, then the scripture says specifically in James 4, you foolish people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? You cannot have both. And in Ephesians, Paul points out in chapter 2, we were all dead in our sin. Right. Because we were part of this world. We were going along with it. We were all owned, if you will, by the ruler of this world, the prince of darkness, mm. not Ozzy Osbourne, the devil himself, right? And so that is, I cannot have peace by doing what the devil wants for a fake surface peace that doesn't actually produce peace, which is why the least tolerant people that I know, that, you know, and, and take a look around, the least tolerant people that you're going to find are those people who most preach tolerance. Right. Because I do you agree need with to that tolerate, 100%. tolerate what I'm telling you. And if you disagree with me, that is intolerable. You're cut you know, off. The, it, it's not even let's the have hypocrisy a dis- let's, is let's, rich. It's not let's have a discussion. Not, right. okay, that's fine. You're just cut off. Right. Um, but that's interesting because we are called to take up our cross. We're going to struggle. And it can be tempting to to fall into those traps where everything is good, God loves you. I'm not saying God doesn't love you, he does. But you know, everything is great, you can do whatever you want. This doesn't yeah. really mean this, this really means that. But, but when you go through those struggles, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that's when I think you need to find that peace and trust in God's grace to give you that peace through those difficult times. Right. And, so and apart from truth, you cannot find Right. So it. it's not just about everything is daisies and rainbows. You, you got I me think, a little fired up here today. I'm now, sorry. So I think sorry. I think that going through difficult things and even wrestling with scripture and, and with that and wrestling in your life with all these... Wrestling jokes. is necessary. Right. So that makes more sense to me in finding peace, in achieving peace. And I don't want to sound like some Dalai Lama thing here, but that makes more sense to me that you would have to have some sort of struggle somewhere to un- even understand what peace is. Like if your yeah. life is just smooth sailing and everything's groovy and everything's great and you can do whatever you want, there are no rules. Um, it'd be hard to find actual peace. I feel like it'd be a fake peace. In my opinion, well, yeah. it certainly wouldn't be a deep understanding of or a deep relationship with God. In my opinion, so I might I feel like I'm all as over a the child place, growing but, up in the '70s, and I referred to this on Sunday, I have very deeply embedded memories from even pre-conscious memories as well as conscious memories of the protest that was going on. Mm. We, we were living in a world of complete turmoil and upheaval in the Vietnam post-Watergate era, uh, all of these things that were going on. And so, uh, you know, the, this is after Woodstock and, and, and all of the things that, that have created the 
hippie movement and so on and so forth. There's an unrest. There's a there's a discontent that's going so much on. Forrest Gump. Yeah. And so it, that's actually a pretty good picture of it. The people who are protesting all of these things, carrying signs about peace and so on, are at the same time cursing everyone else and and angry and hateful but talking about peace and love that really hasn't changed it really hasn't if anything the hypocrisy is look at all the protests we've had in the past couple years and so we need to understand what is it that we're talking about if we're if we're talking about peace and we're talking about love there's something missing in our definition Mm. And I think this is where we where we go when we see this this progressivist um, liberal theology approach to things that peace can somehow be had through humanistic means, anthropocentric means, so that it, so that it's not God's purposes at the center, but our purposes at the center. And you know, in one of the worst songs, you know as far as worldview goes, ever written, imagined by John Lennon. Beautiful song, demonic song, but beautiful song. Uh, I, I would challenge Christians to wade into that mentality. Imagine a world like that. That is not a world worth living in. It is a horrible picture, actually. Nothing to, to you know kill or die for, which means also you've got nothing to live for. And there is... There's this constant picture that we can do better through our own humanity. Except for our humanity is the problem. That's how we got here. What we see in, in the Holocaust is our humanity. Our, our sinfulness is what draws us away from the character of God and provides the unrest, the, the discord, the disruption to peace that must be dealt with. And so even in the the promise of Jesus being the Prince of Peace, that's a warrior image. It's not, you know, Jesus is the the guy sticking flowers in the ends of guns. Jesus is the the, the conquering lion of Judah who will eliminate all enemies of God, even eventually the very presence of sin itself. And and that comes on the other side of absolute judgment. In the meantime, the Prince of Peace is offering us grace because we deserve that judgment. But he also is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world as a sacrifice to purchase our life, our freedom. And that's an offensive thing. The world does does not resist God as long as God is created in our image. Mm. Our problem is we don't want God on his terms. We want God on our terms. So as long as God fits into our box and does what, you know, what we want God to do, how we think a God should exist, then great, we're happy to talk about God. We're happy to be spiritual or religious. But Christ is a different story. We don't want the word of God telling us how we should see God. We don't want Jesus to be the only answer, even though everything about Christendom hinges on the reality, as Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one door, and we either come through Christ or we don't come. 
And what's more, we either come through Christ on our knees with empty hands, in desperation recognizing that we have no hope apart from Christ, or we don't come. Mm. Everything else is a lie to create this this false God that we put God names on, God labels, but it's not Christ. It's not the God of the Bible. It's not the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we end up with all sorts of different, you know, we don't use the word cult very often anymore, but we have all sorts of cults that are distortions of the truth. Liberal theology and progressive theology is no different. It's just one more heresy that has gained a foothold and unfortunately, entire denominations have been given over, sacrificed on this idol, on this idol of uh, self-driven philosophy. And that seems like a lack of faith in the God of the Bible. A one hundred percent. Like that's not it good enough. It is putting enough. greater faith in myself, right. in human understanding, than it is uh, faith in or God. Or not even that. It's like the Bible isn't good enough. What God says isn't good enough. Sarah, so Sarah gonna... Young's devotional Jesus Calling, which I would encourage all Christians to get rid of and burn, because is as incredibly popular as it has been, and I think she's changed the introduction, or the publisher has changed the introduction to it. Her entire concept in approaching this was that this is the word of God through me. Now I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing. In her introduction... Which, you know, as I was trying to figure out why is this book so popular, I'm reading her introduction. And she said, again, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me for getting the quote wrong. But the even, even where I might get the quote wrong, I'm not in any way missing the point of what she's saying. She's saying, I, I knew that God spoke through his word, but I needed something more. Mm. Yeah, I needed to yeah. hear from him myself. God's word, in other words, is not enough for me. And so this devotional, Jesus Calling, purported, she was very clear, and I think it's been denied since, but it was very clear what she was saying. This is God telling me what to write. He spoke to me personally, and I'm writing this down, and this is a greater revelation than the word of God. Whatever else is said, and there's much truth in there. There are you know, valuable quotes from it. But the premise of it is that God's word is insufficient. Right. So even in this very appealing devotional, and she's certainly not the only one, but this is as popular as it gets, the appeal in this devotion is an alternative to actually trusting God's word as it is. It's the same thing the devil did in the garden with Eve. Did God really say, don't you need to know a little bit more? and, And he's always done this ever since then, trying to undermine the authority of God's word. This is exactly what liberal theology, progressive theology does. Yeah, I know the Bible says that. But we can't really take it seriously. It's not today's gospel. It's not today's gospel. We've evolved, and so our understanding of Scripture needs to evolve. We need to see this as a living document, which, by the way, is where you see the connection between um, progressivist theology and progressivist political views. When we see that the Constitution of the United States as a living document, and we need to let it evolve. We need to not be bound by the text of, of the Constitution, which 
is specifically and expressly why the Constitution exists is so that we must always be bound by it. In the same way, we have the written word of God so that we have an unchanging standard that does not evolve because our God does not evolve. Evolution, socially speaking, you know, as we are changing and evolving, if it does not align us more closely with God's word, then it is of the devil and it is taking us away from God's word. And I, I recognize that some folks hearing this are going to be offended. I think we need to be offended. I think God wants us to have our toes stepped on to say, listen, it's either God's way or you are heading the other way. You know, there, there is no other option to it. And so when we look at what Paul is saying in Ephesians through this, the, the nature of peace, as he's blessing them in this benediction, is the same peace that he's been talking about throughout the entire book. So the peace that he's been talking about through the entire book is a peace that comes by God's grace that sets us right with him, that sets us right with one another, that sets us right within ourselves and creates a harmony between who we are and how we live. And, and so the idea of it is a peace that occurs when disruptions and discord are removed. That the disruption and discord being removed is in Christ. You can't separate the themes of the book because they're all tied up in Christ. And so it's, it's the nature of it is the fruit of the reconcilia- reconciliation we have through Christ to God. So, you know, right out of the gate, it says, you know, praise be to God who's blessed us in, uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. He's chosen us. He's adopted us. He's predestined us to sonship. And so all of these things are coming from God, all hinging on our relationship to God. That's the peace that matters. The only real peace that matters is peace with God, which then produces peace from God with others around us and also the peace of God in us as he settles our thinking, settles our hearts because he's bringing about this this, uh, stability and consistency between who we were made to be and who we now are in Christ and how we live, who we perceive ourselves to be. And, And that's where we tend to we tend to have a gap in in the things, the latter two, the peace with others, the peace from God, and the peace of God within ourselves because we lack or wrongly perceive our peace with God in Christ. And we end up with a performance-focused thing. We lose sight of the fact that it is entirely by grace, grace alone, that, that saves us. Not, it's not our faith that saves us. We're justified by faith as we receive his grace, but it is his grace that does the doing. And as every time we try to upgrade God, we end up with these idols that we create God in our own image. And so to go back to that TikTok that you were mentioning, because uh, everything hinges on TikTok, um, <clears throat> the, that happens because we have a bad hermeneutic, a a false um, standard of interpretation. We Mm. we look at things to 
adjust the text to our framework. The way we are trained to think, the way we see uh, life, our worldview, you might say, informs how we read the text rather than letting the text of God's word inform and drive our worldview or our framework. The fact that this was a minister or whatever, I was like, Yes, I would use the term very loosely. Do better. But yeah, and, and it, it's not new. I mean, this right, has been going know, on for I centuries, know. millennia even, uh, even back into the Old Testament when you had the priests of God who were leading the people in idol worship. This is, this is how the devil works. And so when, when this fellow, he said with derision, uh, when he brings the approach that he brings, which is not uncommon in the church, it's because we don't read the Bible rightly. And there is one way to interpret the scripture. Only one. There's only one right interpretation. So what the one reality. What the author intended for the original audience is the only right way to interpret the scripture. And to the extent that we are aligned in our understanding with the author's intent to the original audience or recipient in its context for its purpose, then then our hermeneutic is right, our, our interpretation is right. Now, once we've discovered that, once we've uh, gotten to a place where we understand what's being said, why it's being said, the principles behind it, then we can make applications. Mm. But what we can't do is decide for ourselves, well, this is what it should say. Or if he were doing this, then he would have meant to say this. We have to let the text be king and govern how we approach it. And when we do that, and we, we see the Bible as we would and should any other document. We, we, we look at it according to, we look at literature according to a genre. So we read poetry as poetry. We read a letter much more literally because it's that's the nature of a letter. A law or a command is much more literal. Uh, apocalyptic literature is very figurative and, and in some cases perhaps allegorical. So there's a, a different approach to understanding those types of things. The genre makes all the difference in the world. The context who's writing it, who are they writing it to, why are they writing it, what's going on at the time, makes all the difference in the world. Understanding the Bible as one overarching story from beginning to end, the story of God's people, uh, of God and his relationship to his people in the creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, this overarching story does not contradict itself. Right. So as we look at, at the scriptures, it's not really hard for us to be able to see, even if we don't see everything. You know, there's stuff that you know requires deeper study to be able to get to it. But, but not because there's a special code, not because right. only special people can get it, and you have to have you know the the right magical religious eyes to be able to get it. But everybody can look at it and say, now wait a minute. Something is rotten in Something Denmark. Right. This doesn't smell right the, the way you're approaching this. If we will approach the text honestly right. with God's purpose in mind rather than our own. Really came full circle there. We did indeed come full circle. And I guess that's what bothers me, not coming full circle, is that people are just blindly listening to people like this, thinking that they're authority figures and they know what they're talking about yeah. and they're not doing their own digging. 
So if you if something smells off, it's probably off. And, and we need to recognize that even as we're as we're choosing churches, as we're you know listening to podcasts or reading books or deciding you know what TV preacher we're going to pay attention to, if they're appealing to your flesh, then you're going to reap the, from the flesh. What is sown to the flesh brings a harvest from the flesh. And so if, if if your draw to a church is, it's really cool, <laughs> you might want to be careful about that. Right. I'm not saying it shouldn't it be, be cool. or can't be or whatever else, but that's God's truth is transcendent. And so if what is being taught or even the way it's being presented is in some way um, intrinsically different than what would have been taught or presented 200, 500, 2,000 years ago, then we need to have some serious, critical eye at how we are approaching it. Because we have a tendency to want to modernize the church experience, Mm -hmm. to modernize the The Word of God. So we have today's gospel and so on. Now, obviously, today's language matters. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to speak in a language that is comprehensible, um, what what uh, Wycliffe Bible translators would call the, the heart language. So not just English versus Spanish, but you know, um, the Elizabethan English is not the heart language right. of of our of our English speaking world today. Right. So we need to be able to communicate in a way where we are understanding what's going on. The Hebrew and Greek Bible is for sure. You know, much more, uh, even even the copies and so on, much more true and accurate to the inspired original autograph than any translation ever could be. However, I don't speak Hebrew and Greek. Right, right. So at best, I'm going to be clumsy with it. Right. It's not going to get into you the way yeah. that I... And so we need to be able to grasp that. And just kind of to... To kind of look at these things in a nutshell, and, and I mentioned early on the core reality that peace and love are byproducts of trusting God's glorious grace in Christ. Grace is it's the foundation of everything in the letter. It's the foundation of everything, period. And, and you can't really escape that uh, in, in looking at the overall theme of the Scripture, even in the Old Testament. Even under the law, salvation was by grace then. Grace is what God does for us in Christ. So in in reconciling us to himself, Jesus pays our price. We owed a debt. He paid the debt. He owed nothing. This is grace. From first to last, top to bottom, it is grace. God doing what God decides to do solely by his choice for his glory. And in that, that is our ultimate good. What is for God's glory is for our good, whether we define it that way in our small brains or not. The peace and the love and the faith are byproducts of that. They come under that. We receive faith by grace in order to perceive the grace so that we can then take hold of the grace and receive it. Uh, and, And then the byproducts of that, peace comes from it, Peace is what God does in us, in Christ, by reconciling us to God, making us right with him, making us right to one another as we're all united to Christ, uh, reconciling us to our purpose so that we're beginning to live 
for the reason that God created us. We're more and more aligning with the, the calling that we've received. Uh, that peace comes from God. We have a role in it in actively working out the implications of God's grace to us. Mm-hmm. And, and that develops that peace. But love is what God does through us. Mm-hmm. So as, as God's grace takes hold of our hearts and produces this peace that's the result of grace, natural in its outgrowth, but requiring tending like a garden, it's going to grow if we remove the, the disruptions and the discord, um, get all the weeds out, make sure that the, everything is healthy, and then we're going to have this fruit come out of us. But love is what God does through Christ, uh, through us in Christ. And so because of Christ in us, because of what he's done for us, then we extend that grace to others. Right. He blessed us, we bless others. He forgave us, we forgive others. We're united to Christ, and therefore we're united to one another in Christ, those of us who are in Christ. Faith is almost a corollary. I'm not sure if that's the best way of saying it, but uh, faith is... Faith is how we receive the grace. It's how we receive the peace and the love that God gives us in Christ. So it's a gift of God, but it's exercised by choice. It's, as we mentioned earlier, it's being able to see reality from God's perspective rather than, well, this is what I think is right, or this is what society tells me is right. That's what we see in in progressive theology and liberal theology is, well, I don't think this seems fair, mm-hmm. therefore it must not be fair. Right. It's subjecting my will to God's will, not the other way around. And so I'm aligning my thoughts to the truth of God's word, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what society tells me, regardless of our today's gospel evolution, um, regardless of my circumstances or whether it seems to be working. People always are talking about, well, that didn't work for me. But that's really not the point. Right. It's real or it's not. It's true or it's not. And faith is saying, I'm going to align myself with the truth even when I don't feel like the truth is true because I know that the truth by definition is true. So The end. Way past the end. That's all right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or leave us a message on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you're watching this. Um, or you can leave us a voicemail if you're listening on the Anchor app um, or here at the church at 269-756-RLCC. My mind just went whoosh for a second. <laughs> I just my, left my body. Um, but I, I'm back. There's a lot going on this week. Yeah, a little bit. So. Uh, closing thoughts? Um, yes, if you think this podcast episode is too long, blame TikTok. Uh, Stacy got me fired up, and Sorry. I was sitting there thinking, "What are we gonna are we gonna be able to cover our our full time today?" I think we did. The answer yeah. is yes. So. Okay, so thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next week.